This will be one of the more unique messages that I'll ever give here at this church insofar as there are no cross-references. You'll see we're just going to look at two chapters. But the two chapters basically are all the conquests that uh, Joshua and Israel had over the northern and southern cities in Canaan and how they utterly destroyed the king and the people. It is a bloody mess. It is a bloody mess. And so you look at something like that, you look at something like that, and you say, okay, okay, Lord, I'm a man that wants to be obedient to your word, and I want to teach it line upon line. But you must show me, Father, what is being said here, because it's difficult. And um, commentaries are not very helpful when it comes to um, something like this. It's, uh, It's a matter of just taking a look at names, one king after another. Turn with me, to please, to, um, to Joshua. And look with me at chapters 11 and 12. Uh, you're going to see why... I, I, I'm not going to read every word to you, which is abnormal for us here at this church. Uh, I'm going to allow you to read this to yourself when you would like to. But starting actually in chapter 10 and verse 29 the conquest becomes evident to the southern and the northern cities within the the promised land of Canaan. And it it says in chapter 11, when it came about when Jabin, the king of Hazar, heard of it, in other words, heard of everything that's going on in the south, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Athshap, I think it's pronounced, and to the king who were of the north of the hill country, and, and he names them all. And then we're going to see that these, verse 5, all of these kings agreed to meet and encamp and come together at Miramaram to, to fight against Israel. And then one by one, we're going to note that they were killed by Joshua and the Israelites utterly destroyed. And then as you see, at the end of, if you go to chapter 12, it starts naming the kings, just names them. These are the ones that were all conquered, just apart. So what do you do? How do you teach something like this? I think you'll see that there is really a lot in here, but it's not going to be a place where we're going to cross-reference a lot. We're going to talk about what is the essence of the life of Joshua and the people of Israel. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the Old Testament truth and show you how it applies to you and me today in the New Testament. What is it that Joshua did that gave him success? We already know. We've read chapter 1. And we read where he is to be obedient to the word of God and not to vary from it to the right or to the left. We understand that. We have hold that strong as a principle, as a church. We, we love the word of God here. We believe the word of God is everything here. Okay. But what, what is it that made Joshua so successful? And then where are, if I might even use this word, the hiccups? Where are the problems that come about for the nation of Israel? Why is it that they did not accomplish 
everything that was given to them. And everything you're going to see has been given to them. Here's the issue. Here's the rub. Here's where it's the teaching for you and me today. You and I are in the same type of warfare. You and I are in, we are in a battle. And the book of Ephesians tells us to prepare ourselves for it, to put on, remember, the whole armor of God. That's our our orders. But we are also been told in that wonderful book that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have it all. That power that lives, that we sang just a little while ago, that power that lives in this, that, 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 that conquered the grave, that power lives in us. That same power lived in those people there in the promised land. They didn't fulfill everything they had to do because they were disobedient. So there it is. There is a choice that you and I must make as believers in Jesus Christ. And today is going to be kind of a midterm looking back and looking forward and saying, who am I, what am I, and what is this world in which I live really all about? Let's get real serious about this place in Scripture because it is a very serious place. So, what is the key? If you read through these chapters, chapter um, 11 and 12, I think you'll become, if you read through it and you say, well, Lord, what do you want to show me? When I read through the scriptures, as as we have our daily readings, the the best thing I I think to do is to ask the Lord, before you start to read, to bless his word into your life. I mean, you know, uh, let me behold wonderful things from your law. And then when you find a nugget, you kind of read it over and over until it makes some sense to you. And as I was reading along, Verse 15 came at me like a roaring lion. It says, Joshua speaking, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses' servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. He had left nothing undone of what he was asked to do. And I immediately wrote down in my notes, can we say these words? Can we say that what the Lord God has given us to do, that we have left nothing to the, to the uh, best of our ability, nothing undone that God has given us to do? And if we cannot say these words, my cry for you and me is, why not? It goes back to what I've been saying to you And and then then we'll pray. I'm going to pray in a second. But it goes back to what I was saying to you all along. One of the most important moments in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. One of your most important moments is the time that you come to realize what it is that God has asked you to do as a believer in Him. What are the most important things for you to do? I'll give you a clue, at least for me. For me, the most important thing that God has given me to do is to be the best husband that I can possibly be to my wife. That is something that I do not want to leave undone. And so, you can imagine, if I tell you I love you every week, and I love you folks more than I can tell you, you can imagine how much I love my wife, and how much I tell her I love her. 
Second thing that is really important to me is to make sure my children know that. Know that I love their mom and that I love them. And there is nothing that I wouldn't do for them. Look at me, I'm getting cry. Like it's a, I get up here in this pulpit and it just really gets to me because I, I realize my audience isn't you so much. I'm really talking to the Lord. And so I'm asking his help and I'm telling him what I believe is true in me. So those things I don't want to leave undone. I don't want to be put in the casket wanting to have said to my kids, are you sure that dad loves you? I will not have to worry about that. They'll know that. They'll know that. So those are a couple of things. But when you get to ministry, when you get to your ministry in life, that is something that is critical for you and me to know. And the only way you and I will find out what that is, is to get busy doing something until the Lord leads you to that niche that when you see it, it's like, you know, um, how do you know, how do I know, Dad, who I'm supposed to marry? Uh, you're going to know when you meet her. How do I know, I mean, what is she going to look like? I don't know. You're going to know when you see her. It's one of those type of things. How do you know? And all of a sudden, you start doing something in the ministry and you say, that's it, this is it, this is what I'd love to do, Lord, for the rest of my life if you allow me. And when you find that place and you do it to the best of your ability, then if the Lord were to take me home tonight, I would know that what I did here at the Rock Community Church, I left nothing undone. Nothing. I gave it my all. I was asked yesterday to, by someone who's running for a, a city office in, in Los Angeles to pray for him and to be a part of his, uh, his movement to become what he's running for. I don't want to tell you anything because I don't want you to know who it is. And he asked me to come and speak for him at a, at a meeting last night. And I says, I can't. And he said, why? I said, well, I have church Saturday. Yeah, he says, miss one Saturday. He says, I'll make it worth your while. I said, you can't, you don't have anything. You have, look at yourself. I, I, I could, no, I was going to tell you his name. I grew up with him in high school. I said, look at yourself. Take a good look in the mirror. You have nothing that I need. Nothing. <laughs> I say that to him not to be mean. It's just, there was nothing that would get me away from church. I'm asked to speak. I don't go. Because if I go speak, I've got to prepare to speak there. But then I've got to prepare to speak here too. And which one do I do the most preparation for? And that will always lose. So I don't even accept. I don't even accept other places. I stay here because I do not want to leave one stone unturned here. I don't want to leave anything undone. And so when you come to a verse like verse 15, and you look at it, and you're very serious. If you're serious when we sing the songs that we sing, when I wrote down some of the words. And you know, sometimes we can sing those songs, but sometimes we've got to listen to what we're singing. Fall upon us, we saw stir up within our hearts, Lord, a passion for your name. That's an easy, that is so easy to do if you really want it. But as we're going to see in today's message, if you just say that haphazardly, you know, like, I'll stir up in my heart. Lord, you know, and, and you don't, you're thinking about what you might cook later this afternoon or, or the kids or what have you worn, does it match and all of that stuff. And you really don't think about what you're saying. You're not really going to comprehend that message that is being 
transferred from your heart to the Lord heart. And if you come here and I come here and we come here just to play church and we don't come here really to honor our Father who is in heaven, why? Why come? And so the message today is for, it's kind of a, let's go get them. The message today is, Let's be everything that God has called us to be, and I'm going to, by God's grace, show you why that is critical within your life. Critical. So, I'm not going to read through all of these verses, and I can't pronounce all the names anyways, but I am going to read to you those two verses, verse 15, and I'll tell you the other one as soon as we get through praying. Let's pray. Father, please. Would you do us the greatest privilege that could ever be done to a group of people at one moment in time? And that is open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. The word of God that we have for most of us here sitting in our laps right now is it ought to be everything for us. It ought to be like the most precious of gifts. And we should know what we've been called to do so that when we get a call to say, for instance, go speak at something for uh, that might be, quote-unquote, very beneficial for us, it would be easy for us to say no to that or yes to that, depending upon what it is that you've asked us to do. And when we know what it is, then we know what we can and cannot do. And so, Father, please move me aside. This is really a critical place in Scripture because you allow us to see all of this, the dirty laundry, um, one death after another death. Father, it really becomes, um, it becomes a tough to read at times unless we put it into its perspective, unless we bring it to where we are today and and understand exactly why it is you allowed us to see what took place. That we can see that spiritually we have to put our foot on the neck of sin. Spiritually, we need to kill sin in our lives so that we can become the man, the woman, the young person of God that you've called us to be. So allow us to understand this today. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I told you I'd tell you the other verse. I will. It, I, I should tell you later, but you know, I told you I would. I want to do what I say. Look at verse 23. That's the very end of this chapter 11. So it says, Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord God had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus... The land had rest from war. We've come to the place where now there is a rest from the wars. There's going to be other wars because, and we're going to teach this today, hopefully, you and I have all the blessings we'll ever receive. We have them. They're already ours. But we still have to fight to keep them. We have all the things that God needs to give us to be accomplishing everything that he wants us to do. But we still have to fight to do them. And so your faith and my faith, some of us have been wrongly taught. We think once we come to Christ, that's it. That's the end all and be all of our faith. 
It's only the beginning. When you come to Christ, all you've been given is the uniform. Now you've got to play in the game. We're going to have to practice. We're going to have to bloody our noses in practice. We're going to have to really get down and practice. I've watched this man over here play baseball when he was a younger man, Jimmy Campanis. I watched him hit and hit and hit until your hands what? What'd they do? They couldn't hear you. They bled. I remember, remember Jimmy coming off of hitting for I don't know how long. And his hands were blistered and bleeding until, until he, he got them so tough that they didn't bleed anymore. What they do? They calloused, right? And now he could, he could catch. He was a catcher. He could catch. I could throw him. He would do this sometimes just to embarrass me. We'd play catch together and I'd throw him a ball. And what would you do? Catch it without his glove. That's very embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. And he would make sure he'd tell everybody alongside him, watch what I'm going to do to John. I'll tell you what, you would never be able to catch his ball without bare hand. But we would do that. We would train and train and train. Just because we were quote-unquote on the Dodgers didn't mean that we were there. We still had to prepare. And it was the great players that prepared and prepared and prepared. I want you and me to be great Christians. And so we've been given the uniform, praise God. We're on the team, we're going to heaven. But there's so much more to do here on this earth. And so they rested. They rested from the war. But as you're going to see through here, not really. And so you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not really. I mean, yes, really, but we have to appropriate it into our lives. And so every truth that we're going to learn, whether it be in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, must be heard, but it also must be applied. You can't just be merely hearers of the words, but you have to be what? Doers of it as well. And that happens independently. In other words, I cannot, I would love to be able to, I cannot take you by the hand and make you walk with Christ. That must be a decision that you make. Nobody can really make it for you. If they do, you'll really not be the man of God or the woman of God that He's called you to be until you see it as a personal faith that you have with God. And if everybody else was to fall flat on their faces, you would strive through and be the man, the woman, the young person of God that God's called you to be until you've come to that place in your life the battles will become horrendous and you'll lose. What ought to stand out in these battles of Joshua is this, plain and simple. Never forget this one truth. It was the Lord who gave Joshua. It was the Lord who gave Israel each and every victory that they experienced. You, need, you and I need to come to that understanding that it is nothing that you do or I do that is, that, that is necessary for God. We do it because we love Him. We don't do it so that we'll rush in the kingdom. We don't do it so that it'll be better for Him. It's, it's fine. He's really fine. He's just allowing us to serve Him to receive the blessings. And so if you look back, for instance, look back at chapter 10... And in verse 30, it said, The Lord gave it also... I'm sorry, I went a little bit too fast. I know where I was going, so I was there. 
Chapter 10, verse 30, The Lord gave it also with its kings into the hands of Israel, and he struck it, and every person who was in it with the edge of the sword left no survivor. Thus he did it to its kings, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Verse 32, The Lord gave Lachish unto the hands of Israel. And then look uh, uh, at verse 42, the Joshua captured all of these kings and their lands at one time because, here's why Joshua did it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for him. We can do the same thing in chapter 11. We can do the same thing in all the chapters. We must remember, because it is the same God who serves alongside of Joshua. I said that wrong. It is the same Joshua serves alongside the same God that you and I do. He will do the same thing for you and for me that he's done to everyone else. He, he is the one who will allow us to have the victories. And so the problem that we face is that the blessings we receive, when we come here and we hear a message or we, or we read within the Word of God and we get blessed by it or we study and we feel, we understand what he is saying, We've got to remember that all of that can be forgotten in 10 minutes. You can get a message here that moves your spirit, and 10 minutes later you've gone on the freeway giving somebody, well, telling somebody they're number one. <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh at that, but that kind of does tickle me, but it shouldn't. Uh, but, you know, it, it, we, we get to the place where we forget what God is doing within our lives, and we put things, we put things off, and we don't become the people of God that God has called us to be. Everyone, listen, who truly wants to walk with Christ in his victory and in his power cannot receive, cannot receive what he has for you and for me until we individually want to walk with him more than life itself. You've got to take, you've got to take stock of yourself. This walk that we have with Jesus Christ, the truism of it, it's not a casual stroll. It is a march, it's a walk that is as determined as anything you've ever had in your life. You see, if we learn nothing else from this bloody, worn, torn book, war-torn book, it's that our faith is a personal warfare. Theirs was physical, yours and mine is spiritual, but it's the same type of battle. God wishes for you and me to be ready for the battles that will come our way. And come your way and my way, they will come. Mark it, they will come. And your victory and your peace cannot be accomplished just by a casual stroll with Christ. No, you and I must be ready for warfare. We must be ready for a bloody battle. We must be willing, folks, to put our foot on the neck of sin and kill it. We need to be that determined in our walk with Jesus Christ. You see, our Lord has left nothing, absolutely nothing undone for you at the cross. It was decisive. It was complete. Victory. But it is also true that not a one of us will experience all the victories that have been promised us until we correctly and personally live out what we have been taught by God's Word. Our walk with Jesus Christ is not a casual faith that we just happened to receive some time ago and, oh, um, yeah, I'm a believer. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, no, no. It's, it's, I'm a child of God Almighty. 
And when you start to understand all that that means, it will change your life. Now, maybe you didn't expect or hear this when you first gave your heart to Jesus Christ. Perhaps that's because the pastor or the person who led you to Christ didn't tell you the whole truth of God's most glorious word. Told you about the roses, but left out the thorns. Didn't tell you about the battles that will come and the blessings that come through them. What's my point? My point is, people, we need churches. Our Savior needs Christians across this nation of ours today who are desperate. I mean, desperate to be right with Him. Eager to be wrong with this dying, sin-filled world that is angrily growing right before our eyes. The real issue is, what do you want to live? For those of us who are older, what do you want to leave for your children? But instead, what is happening in this world that we now live, there's a battle going on. Someone wisely told me out there, they came to the service last night, but they were there here this morning doing work. I noted that. They said to me, you know, if we had the fervor of some, take a group. Um, global warming. Global warming. They march so hard about that that everybody believes the world's getting hotter. It might be. I don't have a clue. I'm not a scientist. I just play one on TV. No, I mean, who, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But more than likely it is. But there are enough scientists that say it's not. I don't want to even get into that. What I want to get into is it, what he explained to me this morning is what they march so tough on it that they have just changed the whole notion of this world in which we live. Can you imagine if we as believers had as much passion for people to come to Christ and that we would change the world like they did in the days of Apostle Paul and John and Peter and those guys? So, what we are seeing right before our eyes are so-called Christian pastors who water down the most precious gift that has ever been given to them. To stay in the pulpit and not teach this, the Word of God, is the most... I don't know, I can't think of a bad enough word that, that can't be used uh, in... That, that can be used in church. I, it, uh, to, to, to not preach God's most glorious Word which you have been given, the very privilege of privileges that God will bring people into your church and instead what you decide to do is to tickle their ears? You see, I refuse to do that. Absolutely, utterly refuse to do that. Why? Because I love you way too much and more. I love and fear my God way too much to even try to get away with that. And so what we ought to long for... What you and I need to long for are churches, this church, filled with people who are desperate to be right with God, who are utterly dissatisfied with the thought that they might not be on fire for the Lord all the days of their lives. Now what comes from this type of a, a battle that we live? I, I want to show you, and that is, the fruit of your victory is rest. That's what is said in verse 23. Look at it again. So Joshua, after the battles were over with, but there'll still be more. Don't get 
don't be confused. There's still going to be more because there will always be battles, just like there will always be spiritual battles. You will not win it all today and not have to worry about it tomorrow. It'll come back. So, when Joshua took the whole land, according to all the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to the division of them by their tribes, thus the land had rest from war. And what we see here in verse 23 is that Joshua took the whole land for Israel. The victory is now complete. There'll still be battles. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the victory for you and me was complete. We have everything that we need. Does that mean we will not have battles? Yes, we will have battles all the days of our lives. Now, Joshua gave to the people an inheritance. Our Lord has given you and me an inheritance But whether they received their inheritance or not depended upon their own personal individual faith. Whether they individually desired to go into that land and truly possess it as their own or not. And that's the truth in your life as a believer. Your and my walk with Jesus Christ is being taught here in Joshua. And what I would leave with you today is this. The greatest The greatest source of conflict in your life is being outside of the will of God. In fact, uh, a man I love so much, Bob, who is a dear friend, we talked about how do we know when we're spirit-filled, and he asked me that question this morning. and, And the greatest source that you and I can be in is being outside of the will of God and then permitting what we know is contrary to the will of God to overtake us. In other words, to be sin and have sin and not deal with it and let that sin permeate within our lives and become a part of us rather than to deal with it, put our foot on its neck and kill it. We let it hang around. We put it in the cave, so to speak. And after a while, it'll come back. To hear God's Word taught, or to study the, ter- the Word of God on your own, which I'm going to close with that thought, our daily Bible reading, and then to go away and be disobedient, knowing what you ought to do, that is to be at war with heaven. But the moment you and I begin to obey, immediately our soul will be at peace, and we will have rest. Therefore, as it says in that verse, the land, meaning us, we, will have rest from war. Throughout the whole book of Joshua, we're going to see that the land in Canaan corresponds to our inheritance in Jesus Christ. What the land was to Israel, our walk with Jesus Christ is to us. Corresponds. So the land rested from war. Israel rested from war. And so, when Jesus Christ went to the cross... Before he died, he cried out, it is finished, meaning the victory is won. He and everyone who believes in him can now have rest. But what kind of rest is it? I mean, is it rest from exhaustion? No, our Lord worked the whole time he was on this earth. He was exhausted. He would sneak away and get a a little rest. Is it a rest from burdens? No, 
Jesus had burdens all along. So do we. Is it a rest from, from doing things? Once I now come to Christ, I can rest. I don't have to serve Him anymore. No, Jesus Christ worked every day He walked on this earth. You and I are still going to be exhausted. You and I are still going to have burdens. And you and I are commanded to stay active, serving the Lord all the days of our lives. So what rest is it that Jesus is talking about? It's the rest that comes from the assurance. It's the rest that comes from the satisfaction. It is the rest that comes in knowing that you are at peace with God. There is no greater night of rest, sleep, when you know that you are at peace with God. That there is nothing in your life that is standing between your relationship with Him. There is nothing that you have that needs to be completed. You have done it all up to that moment. And that night rest, it's glorious. It's amazing. Will you still have burdens? Sure. Will you be exhausted? You bet. But you will be able to rest. And that's the rest that the Bible is talking about. The restful Christian rest is the one that lives above the storms of life in that restful, peaceful, forgiving arms of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to close with this. I still have five minutes. This is really almost, it's, I don't want to say, yeah, it's really good. It's perfect, really. Let's, what I, we've been encouraging you to do is to read your Bibles daily. I want to show you in this week's readings how it corresponds to what we are going through in the book of Joshua. If you've been reading our daily reading, as we try to encourage you, and, and I don't know how we can try to encourage you more, because, and the reason we want you to read your Bible daily is because this gives you the spiritual nourishment, the, the, the food, the strength to get through whatever it is you're going through. And watch how it fits with what we are in. On Wednesday, this week, the 7th, we were reading out of Psalms. Take a look, please. Psalms chapter 7. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, middle of the Bible, the seventh chapter. We've been talking about the kindness of God. We talked about how God gave the people in the promised land 420 years to repent. He was patient, patient, patient. And now we're seeing he is doing all-out war with them. And you look at it and you say, wow, boy, that's pretty pretty mean. I mean... No, God had given them 420 years to repent. And everyone that repented, He gave them their rest and their peace. So look, it says in verse 11, Psalms chapter 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge. I have that underlined in my Bible before I read it. So somewhere down the road, I had read that already. And He is a God who has indignant... How do you say that word? Indignation? Indignation. Anger. Anger. I looked up because, and I can't tell you the name of the book that you find corresponding words. Is that a... (laughs) See? That's the thesaurus. You can't say that either. (laughs) I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know. But look, it says, He is a God who has indignation. I got it. Every day. Every day. 
When we think that our merciful God, now if you were to read that Wednesday, and if you were to think someone like I think, you would think we have a God that has waited patiently 420 years before he judged the people in Joshua chapter 10, 11, and 12. He was angry with their sin for 420 years every single day. I ask how many of us would have that type of patience. We can hardly think ill of God And his patient warns and it waits, but his righteous character must judge. Wonderful. Now watch. On Thursday, Wednesday the 7th, on Thursday the 8th, we were asked to read out of Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Now turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 19 in particular. First book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 19. It's an amazing story, and through it we're going to see the extent that God went through to save a righteous person or a righteous, any righteous person who would just believe in his warnings. This is talking about what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent two angels to warn Lot. Look with me at Genesis chapter 19, and let's start reading in verse 12. Then the two men namely the two angels. There were two angels there with Lot. They said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of that place. In other words, they're giving him fair warning. Whoever it is that you know and love, bring them out of this place because, it says in verse 13, we are about to destroy this place. Because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so when I started reading that on our daily reading, you start to think, oh, wow, there's a lot of, 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 of all this judgment that's going on in this world over and over again. And so I read in verse 14, Lot went out, spoke with his son-in-law, who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of this place, the Lord's going to destroy it. But he appeared to his son-in-law to be jesting. And you know, I stopped there and I thought to myself, boy, isn't that just like people? Here we're trying to warn them. You and I, we are trying to warn people that they need to know the Lord. He's going to come back someday and judge. And then we, <laughs> someone's going to come back and judge us. You're kidding, right? No, no, there, there is a God in this heaven. There's a God up there. <laughs> you really believe that, do you, John? And they think I'm kidding. They think we're jesting with them. Some believe, believe that your faith and my faith is nothing more or less than a joke. And so these, these guys are going to marry his daughters. I mean, wouldn't that make you stop and think for a moment? They're laughing at him, what he's saying. I think he's jesting with them. And then it says, verse 15, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Take up your wife, take up your two daughters, who are here, or you're going to be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated, it says in verse 16. That is really critical. Lot's, he hesitated. So the men, the angels, the angels, what did they do? They physically seized his hand. They seized the hand of his wife, the hands of his two daughters. Why? They said, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and they put him outside the city. Physically, they took him out of danger. The compassion of the Lord. The kindness of the Lord. 
And so I thought about that when I read our daily reading, and I thought, how can anyone think ill of God? His compassion for us goes beyond anything we could ever hope for or dream of. And those people in the land that that we see all of these terrible and bloody wars, they would have been set free had they only just believed. My point of all of this is to tell you today, I love you, I think you know that. I love you with all my heart. And because I love you with all my heart, I want you to become the person that God has called you to be. And I can't make you do it. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Because if I could, it would have happened by now. I plead with you to walk with the Lord. I plead with you to be the person that God has called you to be. I plead with you not to make your walk with Jesus Christ a casual one, but one that is very serious. It doesn't mean you cannot be still a fun-loving person. You still can have all the fun you want to have, but be very serious with your walk with Jesus Christ. Know Him. Love Him. And by the grace of God, leave no stone unturned. Like Joshua said, there was nothing that he left that was undone. You and I can do that. We just want to find out what are our priorities in life. Once you find out your priorities in life, it's very simple to say no to certain things and yes to other things. Because you know what it is that God wants you to do. You know what it is that God's called you to do. And you do it. When you leave nothing undone, you will then have rest from the war. But not rest, that means you won't have to battle. It means a peace with God that goes beyond any and all comprehension. That is the greatest rest that you and I will ever experience. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us as a body of believers. We thank you so much for your word. You try with all of your heart to grab us by the scruff of our necks and to make us be all that you want us to be. But Father, for whatever reason, you chose that that's not the way you'll do it. You'll leave that decision to us. You've given us our own will. And so, Father, I like, would love to be able to grab people and let the scruff of their neck and, and make them walk with you. But it's enough that I try to do it for my own self. Each of us individually, Father, have to choose. Choose this day whom shall you serve. I pray that this church can collectively say, but for us and for our house, we will serve the Lord. But not just now, but ten minutes from now, later this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, the weeks to come, the years that lay before us, that we will be faithful to not walk casually with you, but be warriors to serve you, Father, with joy all the days of our life.
Father, bless everybody here, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you folks beyond your wildest dreams. Thank you for being here. I do, do, do love you. Have a great, great day, and I'll see you next week.